we find ourselves this morning in a study in Ecclesiastes, and I want your, uh, your eyes in the Bible today. So if you have it on your device, get your device out, or we have some ushers who are coming down. They'd love to put a copy of the scriptures in your hands. We're going to be on page 573. We're in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes that word is so hard to say. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And I want to set us up well to hear from the text this morning. So here's, here's how I'm going to try to do that. It took me a while to get my mind there. Uh, just after the holidays, I was channel surfing, and I did something I almost never do. I stopped on a church service. And uh, I, I began to watch the church service, and what caught my eye was it was a church I was familiar with during my time in Dallas. And, and, and right away, I noticed the production level was... was was at the top. You guys who run cameras, thank you so much for what you do. Audio tech, you guys, this is amazing. Their audio, their tech, their video, it was like superb. So immediately I'm like, wow, this is classy. And then the music kind of drew me in. It was all those songs that, that if you grew up in the church, you grew up singing. You know, I, I can't name them. I just knew right away. Like, oh yeah, yeah, we sang that with grandma, you know, or like, you know, it was just beautiful. And there were brass instruments and then they'd change scenes and there were people in robes and they'd change scenes. It was just incredible. It just drew me in to watch this service. Okay, so you got that in your mind. Now let's cut scene. I want to take you back to the time of Solomon. Now, if you read your scriptures, you, you remember that God had set out a people for himself, the nation of Israel. We just sang about the God of Abraham and his covenant. God made another covenant to his people, Israel, and he set them up as a nation, and they were judged by judges for a while, and then they wanted a king. It didn't work out so well with Saul, and the Bible tells us that he chose David because David was a man after God's own heart. Well, David wasn't perfect, and he made a lot of mistakes, and, and, and out of that, his son Solomon was born, and when Solomon had opportunity to go before God, God said, what do you want? And he said, I want wisdom. So you've got that in your head, and, and so Solomon's the king. Well, one of the other neat things about Solomon was that God had directed the people of Israel to build a temple for him. And this would be the special place where his spirit dwells, and they could come and they could do business with God. They could do their soul business with God at the temple. And there were laws and, and practices and vows and this kind of thing. God told David he couldn't do it. It would have to be Solomon that built it. And you can read about Solomon building the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. It's incredible. It's a space where the ceilings are really high, kind of like this. And there was imagery around that was there to remind you that you have entered into a special place. There were significant rules and, and, and things that guided it. And one of the things that fascinates me to this day, uh, you go and you read some of these stories, and there were like carvings that were super intricate. You know, like carve this fruit just perfect, and then hang it up somewhere where nobody else will see it. <laughs> I mean, literally, like if we had a little pomegranate hanging behind the speaker, nobody would ever see it. But God was teaching them that when you, when, you, when you behave before a holy God, there were expectations upon you and that he was worthy of your best effort. And this temple was the place where the people of God gathered together for worship. Okay, cut scene. Now... Solomon is writing this book that we call Ecclesiastes, and he's teaching the people that, that life apart from God is like chasing after the wind. You, you might remember the Hebrew word hevel, that, that it's like a vapor. If I had planned ahead, I might have done what I did down in Kindred. I, I brought a candle, and I, and I had the candle lit, and I blew it out, and then I had the kids try to grab 
the, the, the vapor that came off the smoke. It's a fascinating experience. It will drive you crazy because you go to grab it and as soon as you grab it, it's like it's gone. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes tells you, that life apart from God is like that. You're reaching and trying and yet life is still happening. And as soon as you think you have it figured out, life happens. And what I love about Ecclesiastes and hate about Ecclesiastes is its shock factor. You might remember in Ecclesiastes chapter one, all of this is meaningless, it's hevel. It's chasing after the wind because he's setting you up for the end of the book when he says, but life under the fear of God is a life to be enjoyed. You'll hear next week about some of the limitations of our lives and those limitations are a gift from the Lord. Your life is a gift from God. Okay, so Solomon's setting this up and what he realizes, and if you remember some of the experiments, uh, he experimented with pleasure, he experimented with work, he built things. I mean, he was a who's who of everybody. He tried it all. And he said, in the end, it's all vanity. In Ecclesiastes chapter five, I think he has in mind the worship experience at the temple. And he's looking at worship in the temple and he's saying, here is another vanity. God, you have given us a space to worship you. You've given us uh, reminders that you're worthy of our best. And yet here your worshipers come in a vain expression and a chasing after the wind. Because they, like you and me, showed up sometimes not really ready to do business with God. They went to the temple because they had to. They offered offerings that looked on the outside like everything is great, but on the inside, their hearts were cold and dead to God. And I want to confess to you that I think that is a danger that still exists for the people of God. I see it in my own heart, and I see it in your hearts when we're honest with each other. It is real easy to enter into the space that we have to worship together or to enter into the private space of worship with God and to just fill the room with sound and our hearts aren't in it. So I wanna pause for a minute and pray again. Heavenly Father, may it not be so today for us. Lord, our pride gets in the way even as I'm saying these words, my pride gets in the way. Lord, our distractions are overwhelming at times. God, our sin drives us to shame and regret that just feels like we can't even get free. So Lord, we come to you and we cry out and we say, help us today to worship you in spirit and truth. Amen. Open your Bible to page 573 if you borrowed one, or Ecclesiastes chapter five. I want, I want you to hear these words of Solomon as he speaks to those who are about to enter into the space to worship. He says this, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares, 
and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my, my vow, that was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. There's that word again. Therefore, fear God. Now at the outset, I wanna point something out to you that, that is just crystal clear in my head because I tried to escape it. Growing up, when I wanted to talk to you all, I'd say all y'all. I still say that. The verbal imperative here is you. It's me, it's singular. You who have come to the place to worship God, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Friends, in a place where it would be easy to become vain, where we could gather together and chase the wind, let us be careful how we approach the throne of God. Let us be careful how we look to the Holy One who is sovereign over all, who, who sits in heaven. And the scriptures say before the words were even on your mouth, he knew what you were going to say. He knows your heart. This sacrifice of fools in verse one is a rash vow. In, in view of, of God's transcendence and greatness, the, the preacher is telling his readers, hey, be careful with your words before God. And in fact, if you want to live holy before God, these first few verses, we're gonna see two movements, are all about listening to God. It's all a posture before the Lord. Like when you come to worship God, start with a heart that's ready to listen. I love how Warren Wiersbe captures this. He says, our offerings in the hands without obedient faith in the heart become the sacrifice of fools because only a fool thinks he can deceive God. Like if we're just being honest for a minute, hey Jonas, how dumb are you that you think you can trick God? That, that your, your, your hypocrisy, your, your, your minimum, is somehow gonna fool God. No, he is God, and you're not. In fact, one of the, the themes as you read the scripture is that from, from the beginning until the very end, our hearts are bent on not being honest with God. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we read, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. You see, as they came into the temple, there were these offerings that they were supposed to do. And, and they could offer and offer and offer and offer and offer, and they could do everything right on the outside, but their hearts weren't in it. When we're honest, we all need to guard our hearts against the vanity of worship and to listen to God, his word and his spirit. John Bunyan, in writing The Pilgrim's Progress, says, in prayer, it's better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Isaiah the prophet would write, 
My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Lest we believe we can get away with playing games with God, let's remember who our God is. Jesus said as much in Matthew 6. He says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as those Gentiles do. They think they're going to be heard because of their many words. You see, this is a condition of mankind that we've had for a long time. Well, maybe if we just say the right things or do the right things. I mean, okay, if mom and dad are listening, this isn't a personal attack. We grew up praying the same prayers at dinner. I intend to teach my kids to pray similar things at dinner. And if you pray the same things at dinner, there's probably going to be some dinner prayers where your heart ain't in it, if you're being honest. And the Lord is saying, when you come to me, put your heart into it. Listen, receive from the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said, it's not the length of our prayers, but the strength of our prayers that make the difference. Before I read some of these New Testament passages for you, I I wanna read from a book that Pastor Craig recommended. Uh, The book is called Living Life Backward by David Gibson. And it's been really helpful to me in my journey of going along in this study of Ecclesiastes. The author writes, the preacher looks us in the eye and he says, watch out, be careful. You need to know that approaching God can be dangerous if you're approaching him thinking that he couldn't care less what is really happening in your heart and about how you're treating your spouse or your colleagues or your family member. Don't be too quick to just tell God what you think he wants to hear. That's what verse two means. Someone has said that when we pray, we tend to think it's like talking into a spiritual microphone with God listening on the other end through a set of heavenly earphones. But in fact, when we pray, God is listening to us with a spiritual stethoscope. Just like the doctor who says, let me hear you breathe, and he or she listens in to what we can't see and and learns the truth about our condition, God is in heaven. Can't you see as you look around how small you are and how big God is? So don't you think his stethoscope is always working? Don't shoot off your mouth or speak before you think. Ecclesiastes is teaching us that we need God's word. We need his revelation about who he is and what he's like in order that we might reverence him properly. Friends, when we come together to worship, we need to hear from the Lord. We need to open his word and we need to invite his spirit to teach us so that we might approach him properly. Well, one of the beautiful things about having the New Testament and the scripture and the unfolding of God's revelation was that the prophets and priests and the kings of old, they were looking forward to something. You and I have the privilege of looking back. They were looking forward to Jesus. And in the early church, this was still a reality. When you come to worship God, you need to to be postured appropriately before him because he is holy and we are not. But it's interesting because the invitation, I really don't think this is an uh, I don't think these two things conflict. I think, I think they come together beautifully. There's a holiness to God. And when we are born again into, into the family of God and the spirit of God dwells within us, listen to these invitations that come from a place like Philippians chapter four. 
Paul writes, the Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And this peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's an invitation to hear from the Lord and to believe what he has said is true. First Thessalonians, Paul writes again, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When we come together to worship, we need to hear from God. When, when we sit down with our, word, with our Bible, we need to hear from God. We need to be listening to him, and he wants to communicate with you. Verse 3, a dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. It, some of you guys who, are, who have been reading the Bible for a while or memorizing scripture, you probably remember Proverbs ten nineteen. I think maybe Solomon was doing a little copy-paste, okay? He writes, when there are many words, wrongdoing is unavoidable, but the one who restrains his lips is wise. Can you hear the proverbial wisdom here in chapter five? I mean, he is punchy. And then he's hitting you with this stuff and he's saying, hey, if you're just gonna run your mouth, eventually you're gonna reveal you're a fool. (laughs) When you go to God, you don't have to do that. Before the words were even on your lips, the Lord knew your heart. It reminds me of some of the prayers in the Bible. Well, that's a fun study sometime. If you're ever just curious and you can you know, find a list or just read and look for it, how do people pray in the Bible? I've got some favorites. Nehemiah, help! Like, I mean, that's just one of the best. Right before he goes to see the king, Lord, <laughs> I'm a dead man. <laughs> I like Jonah chapter two. We'll look at that a little bit later too because he's like, God, if you save me, as he's drowning. And Jesus just tells us, you don't have to try to impress God. He knows you. And here in verse three, we see how the byproduct of stress and anxiety, yeah, that creates dreams, doesn't it? I mean, our minds just run at night when we're stressed out. And Solomon's already talked about that. And then he uses this proverbial link to say, and and your words, you keep running those, man, you're going to reveal that you really are a fool. Guys, the temptation was real for them. They were distracted by the cares of the world. They were distracted by the reality of their flesh. They were distracted by an enemy. How much more are we distracted today? There is so much noise. One of the things I love about coming together to worship with you is is when we pause and we're quiet and we pray. One of the things I love about when we worship together is that we're we're looking to God and asking him to speak into it. And and here's another one. I I think if we're not careful, the temptation of, you know, like bare minimal worship, or um, I told you earlier I was channel surfing and I hit a church service. If we're honest, some of us are treating church like that. You know, I used to go to that church, but, you know, it didn't really cater to me. So now I go to this church. And the pattern of your life is that's your pattern. If that's the pattern of your life, I want to I invite you to be honest with the Lord. Maybe that's about you and not so much about the church. I mean, certainly there are reasons. Don't, don't hear there's not a reason. But, but be honest with God. Listen to his word. How many of you, and I'll go first, have had an opportunity to serve 
and you feel this little tug, like, man, I think maybe God's calling me to do that. And then your mind fills with how many excuses why it shouldn't really be you and how quick you are to volunteer someone else. <laughs> see, see, we, gotta, we wanna be a, a people of God who are hearing from God and, then, and not just listening to God, but obeying God and doing what, what he calls us to do. And this invitation of chapter five is, is to come and to listen with our ears wide open. When we come to worship, we're coming together to hear from him. When I think about singing, I was sharing this with Anthony earlier, there's this boardwalk chapel in Wildwood, New Jersey that has a sign to help its worship leaders remember. And the sign reads, sing like you mean it. But somebody came back with a marker and scratched out the word like and wrote the word because. So now it reads, sing it because you mean it. (laughs) Friends, when we come together to worship and we have opportunity to sing and to reflect, because we believe it. Allison and I were uh, working at Good News Club last week, and I remember, Allison, when you paused after the kids had sung a song, and she asked these elementary kids, do you know what that means? And I am still blown away at the wonder of watching elementary kids try to figure something out. I mean, they do not hide that well. And they're trying to figure it out, and they came up with the reason they understood it. Some of us need to do that in our worship. We need to pause and say, do I believe that? Or am I just singing it like I believe it? (laughs) We wanna invite you here at Bethel Church to sing it because you believe it. And how do we hear God's word? We hear it, I love this, we hear it with the expectancy of Mary who sat at her master's feet in Bethany hanging on to every word. We hear it with the faith of Peter who said to Jesus, you have the words of life. Brothers and sisters, when we go into the house of worship or when we go to God in our private prayer, let us go to him boldly and sincerely, not as one who's trying to fake it till we make it. Here's the second movement of the text, and this has to do with how we speak to God. Uh, Chapter five, verses four and five. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. God has no pleasure in fools, so fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Now, up until about five hours ago, I was prepared to come to you and say, I I can't remember in my life any time I've made a vow before God. I don't know people who make vows. And then it was like the spirit of God prompted me and said, oh yeah, you used to make some vows, brother. (laughs) Anybody here ever made a vow to God? Lord, I'm gonna do that. Well, God prompted me with a great reminder that uh, years ago, Greta and I were the checkbook system back then. Now we use bank pay and all those kinds of things. We're still not as fancy as some of y'all. <laughs> but, but, but in the checking system, it, it was easy for me to forget to send in a check because uh, I wanted to be a consistent giver. I believed that God had called us and calls us to give consistently. And I missed one. And we found it. And I looked at my checking account and went, oh, that's gonna be ugly. And I called Greta and I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, are you for real? Brothers and sisters, God has given your spouse as a gift to grow you to be more like Jesus. (laughs) And I needed to grow. (laughs) And, And we wrote the check. Like, if you made a promise, you made a commitment, get it done. The message of the text is be a person of your word. Don't mess around with this stuff. Why would you want to 
to, to cause, to miss out on the blessing of God when, when you've made those kinds of vows to him. And then you dig a little bit in the Old Testament text and you realize that God didn't really require his people to make vows in order to be accepted by him. But there were opportunities during seasons of devotion in their life where they would make a vow and then fulfill the vow. I think about some of the spiritual disciplines some of you or us practice, like fasting. You don't have to fast, but if you fast, boy, you'll grow. You'll learn that your hunger drives a lot of you and your greatest hunger is to be satisfied in Jesus. So these, these vows were happening. And the preacher is warning the reader about two sins. The first was of making a vow with no intention to keep it, which is lying. We've learned that's a bad idea. And the second was making a vow, but delaying to keep it, hoping to get out of it. Now, if we were gonna get real here for a minute, all of us have probably made a deal we wanna get out of. I've done a little transacting in my days, and there have been times where I'm like, oh no, I found a better price. But I promised I'd buy it. Ugh, I gotta keep my word. Or I go to sell it, and I realize I could make more money. But I promised, so I gotta do it. Friends, how much more when we make these vows to God? Jonah chapter two, you remember that? So Jonah's going down in the water, down, down, down. He cries out to God and he says in his prayer, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed to pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So he has this praise and like, God, if you save me, I will profess the truth. And he mostly did. But it cost him something. First Samuel chapter one, Hannah made a vow before God, asking God for a baby, and Samuel, her son, was dedicated to the Lord. You'll see these things when you start to look for them. Acts chapter five, this was a big one in the early church. Ananias, another hard word, and Sapphira come together and they made a promise before God, God, if you help us sell this land, we'll give it to the church. And what, if you remember the story, they walked in and they lied to the leaders of the church and God struck them dead and, and they were carried out to be buried. Friends, be careful with the holiness of God. Don't play games with God. In Acts chapter 18, Paul had assumed this vow, and it's fascinating. You go read about this stuff, a Nazarite vow. So he would, he would shave his head, and then he would grow his hair out for a season, and then bring that back as an offering to God, as a public testimony of his, uh, whatever that was before God. And it was beautiful to the Lord. It's interesting, Solomon here in his wisdom, he's like, you know what? It's actually better to not make a vow than to make one and don't do it. So don't do that. Be careful what you say to God. Like when you talk to God, we've already heard, you don't need a ton of words. And don't be the kind of person who says, oh God, that was a mistake. The Bible obviously gives evidence that there's vows we make. And I wanna encourage you, church, last week, um, Many of us stood up and we said, yes, I will partner with the families of Bethel Church to help raise the next generation to know Jesus. When we do that, we take that seriously. We wanna be a body of Christ that comes together and says, hey, little person, look to Jesus. That says, hey, older person, help us out. Hey, same age, I don't, age, you know what's crazy? The old people think the younger people aren't listening, the young people think the older people aren't listening and nobody's listening to anybody. If, if you want to be listened to, listen. <laughs> you, you, I mean, but we need each other, church. We're going to do this. We made a vow. We're going to do it. Look at verse 7. 
Much dreaming and many words are meaningless, therefore fear God. Again, fear God, singular, you. This is your business before a holy God. This theme gets repeated in the book of Ecclesiastes and here's the whole manner. As Ecclesiastes is wrapped up, chapter 12, verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Singular imperative, fear God. Jesus invites us in John chapter four, verse 24, to worship him in spirit and truth. When we come together, we should expect to hear God speak to us through his word and by his spirit. We assume a posture of listening. When we speak to God, we speak to him honestly, without hypocrisy. We confess our sins to him and we ask him to forgive us. One of my favorite preachers I like to listen to regularly references this verse. In 2 Chronicles 16, it says, For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Brothers and sisters, men and women, God is looking for an individual who is willing to take a posture of listening to him Who's, who's, who's being careful with how they speak back to him from a posture of humility, saying, God, I wanna serve you, and he wants to bless you and use you and multiply his, through his spirit, his people. When we listen to God and obey his word, we will grow in Christ. In a senior level class at seminary, one of my professors gave us some kind-hearted and gentle, even Solomonic encouragement. He said, ladies and gentlemen, you have spent hours, days, and even years in study, and I'm going to boil it down for you. It comes down to trust and obey. And then as only Dr. Hannah could do, he did this. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And I looked at him, thank you, Gunner, and, and I was like, really? I kind of felt let down. But I think if Solomon was standing here, he'd probably saddle up and go, you know he's right. That's what, I, that, that's what I'm trying to tell you. Live your, your life in such a way before a holy God that you are entrusting yourself completely to him. You're not playing games with him with your mouth, but you are living before him and you are listening to him. And, and when you talk to him, you're, you're being honest and then you're taking that next step of obedience, whatever that is. Solomon was looking forward to a Messiah to come and you and I have the rest of the story right in front of us. Jesus, the Messiah, has come. What the prophets, priests, and kings long to see, they long to see is Jesus. And Jesus Christ has gone before us, certainly as an example, but if an example only, you and I have no hope for a future with God. Jesus Christ has gone before us as the propitiation for our sin. His death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave have purchased for you, for me, and for all who will believe a renewed relationship with our holy God. And it is because of his completed sacrifice that you and I can enter into the presence of God freely, knowing that our Father in heaven hears us and we can come to him. Listen to these words from Hebrews chapter four. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help us in our time of need. Ours is a God, eternally one God, eternally existing in three persons, and we experience this personhood of God as we relate to him in spirit and in truth. The Father hears our prayers because of our right relationship with his Son. And the Son stands before the Father as our advocate, and the Spirit dwells within us, calling us to cry out, Abba, Father. For we, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. How much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, that is Jesus, Romans chapter 5. Therefore, Jesus is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews chapter 7. Friends, Jesus told his disciples when he ascended to heaven that there would be one who comes after, an advocate, a helper, a teacher. And this is the Spirit of God. And this advocate, helper, teacher would be with them and would lead them. And today, if you are born again in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God himself dwells within you and he invites you that when you come to him, you do so in spirit and in truth. Recognizing who he is and who you are and your need for him, listening and then being careful with your speech back. You and I will grow in Christ as we listen to God and obey his word. I want to pause for just a minute. Um, this is a great message for people who know Jesus. <laughs> but if you're on the outside looking in and you're not sure if you know Jesus, I just, I just want to give you an opportunity. Um, our God created you in his image and he loves you. And if you're being honest, there's some things about your life that feel like you're chasing the wind. And if you feel like you're chasing the wind and you want to stop, if the aches of this world are, are wearing you out and you're like, I, I need a better plan. I, I, here, the Bible says that by nature and by choice, your desire is, is to disobey God and dishonor him. And we call that sin. Those things that we think, say, or do that, that, that break God's law in his heart. And that as a sinner, you need a rescue. You need a savior. And his name is Jesus. And I wanna invite you to be like one of those guys I talked about and cry out to God. He wants to rescue you. Agree with him that you're a sinner. Believe by faith that, that what he offers to you is something you could never work. If you heard today, this is just try harder, I am sorry you heard me wrong. This is give yourself to the Lord and let him work. And he will answer your prayers and he will change your heart. And maybe for the first time, your desires will change and because of the Spirit's work within you, you'll be able to say no to something you couldn't say no to before because God wants to work in you.